I invite you to take a Bible, either your own perhaps, or one from the pew under, uh, right under the pew in front of you, and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to continue our series. We've had four messages on Hebrews 1, and now I want to begin Hebrews 2, and we'll do two messages on the first four verses of Hebrews 2, at least. At least that's my plan right now before we move on farther. And I want to read those four verses and then just take the first uh, two and a half for this morning's message. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. We'll come back in a minute to see what for this reason is referring to. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The title of the message is The Danger of Drifting. So there's the point. Lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also bearing witness with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Let's pray. O Father, be our teacher now by the Holy Spirit. Take my words, guard them from error, anoint them with power, to sink in like arrows through any calluses that might be on our hearts so that the points go deep to the soft and tender, vulnerable places of the heart through the mind and change us so that we don't drift away and neglect such a great salvation and be found without excuse and unable to escape the judgment of God. This is very serious, Lord, and I ask that you would come and give us a serious demeanor, a serious spirit. The warning being sounded here is an awesome thing, as is this whole book, and I pray that you would be our spirit among us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a remarkable thing to me that in chapter 1 of Hebrews, there's no command to us. We are not told to do anything in chapter 1. Chapter 1 is all celebration, all declaration to this effect. In former times, God spoke in a lot of different ways through the prophets. Now, in these latter days, He has spoken to us by a son. And then, the rest of the chapter is to describe the son. He's the heir of all things. He upholds the universe with the word of his power. He created all things. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of the Father's nature. He made purifications for sin. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty. He is over all angels, dispatching them to do his bidding among the saints. He is worshipped by everything in the universe except His Father. 
He is God. That's chapter 1. No commandments, no duties, just truth. Just glorious, Christ-exalting revelation of God's final decisive word, Jesus Christ. You remember a couple of weeks ago when I called it the final decisive word because it says in these last days he has spoken to us by a son and that the reason it's the last days is because there's no third chapter of Revelation. You got an Old Testament period of Revelation. Then you've got Christ in the last days and then eternity in glory. There's no third era by which God does a new thing besides Jesus in speaking to the world. It does not mean that subsequent to Jesus, God can't communicate with us. It means all of his communication flows from Jesus, points to Jesus, is measured and proved by Jesus, orients around Jesus. Jesus is God's decisive word to the world. It's the last word that he has to say. It's the same thing as John chapter 1, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what Hebrews is saying. In these last days, God spoke to us by a Son. The Son was the Word of God. That's the decisive Word that God delivered to the world. This is my Word. Listen to Jesus Christ. So that's chapter 1. Actually, that last sentence was chapter 2. Listen to Jesus Christ. And that's the duty that follows in chapter 2. It's an amazing thing. Chapter 2 begins, For this reason... I said I'd come back to that, so here we are. Do you see the logical connecting link between chapter 1, the revelation of God's decisive final word in Jesus, and the first commandment of the book, verse 1 of chapter 2, we must more closely listen to or take heed to or attend to what we have heard. And the logical link is, for this reason. All of chapter 1 is designed to buttress the first commandment of chapter 2, namely, listen to Jesus. Everything he said about Jesus in chapter 1 was meant to say, wake up, listen, listen. Don't drift, listen. Take heed, look, zero in. That's that, that's why that little connecting phrase, and if you have an NIV, your little therefore, five words into the sentence or so, says the same thing. Therefore, that is because of all that you've seen in chapter one, for this reason, or therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. So if you boil down all of chapter one and the first verse of chapter two into one simple sentence, it goes like this. 
Since God has spoken in these last days by a son, therefore, we must give close heed to what we've heard. The dignity, the majesty, the glory of the word spoken, Jesus, increases the sense of seriousness of the command, listen to him. Listen to what he has said. Now, it may seem strange to you, I don't know, where you are in your listening to Jesus, that so much weight would be put on the simple command, give heed to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Pay close attention to what you've heard in this final decisive word that God spoke in Jesus. But it isn't surprising to me because I know my bent not to listen. Let me ask you this. What are you listening to? Everybody's listening. Even deaf people listen to something. Everybody's listening. If you want to listen to a music group, you make provisions. You have a tape deck in the car. And you have a tape. If you want to listen to the news, you make provisions. You have a radio in the kitchen. Or you make sure the TV is on at the right time in the evening. You make provisions. You take steps so you can listen to what you want to listen to. If you want to listen to the latest uh, tale told by John Grisham. Think of this because I walked into the Gatwick Airport in London. And... Uh, in the, in the London airport bookstore, there's walls of John Grisham novels with big signs that says, the most popular author in the world. So I saw every other person had Rainmaker in the, on the plane, it looked like. If you want to listen, if you want to listen, you buy, you move, you get. You position yourself. You take steps. You make provisions so that you can listen if you want to listen. And everybody's listening to something. And I'm asking you, what are you listening to? If you want to listen to a missionary who's in a hard place, like Liberia, or Sierra Leone, or Zaire, or Congo... You buy a computer and get on email and you download a couple times a day to make sure you don't miss it more than a couple hours worth. You take steps. If you want to listen, you take steps and you listen. And everybody's listening. And I'm asking, what are you listening to? What are you listening to? We're all listening to something. Are you making provisions to listen to the Son of God? That's what this verse says. Literally, verse 1 says, it is exceedingly necessary that we give heed to what we have heard. There's an urgency here. Exceedingly necessary. There's a lot of Christians who once they have signed on the dotted line to be Christian, think there's no more necessity of urgent listening. Listening. And it's a big mistake. And the whole book of Hebrews is written to show the mistake of drifting in the Christian life. And not listening, not looking 
to Jesus. Now, let me show you that this is not an isolated command. I don't know how long the Lord's going to keep us in the book of Hebrews. I'd love to stay in the book of Hebrews until I'm done. We'll see. But if we were to finish the book of Hebrews, you know what we would see? We would see repeated over and over and over again this simple command. Don't drift. Be vigilant. Listen. Don't drift. Be vigilant. Look. Don't drift. Be vigilant. Consider. It's a book about the vigilant perseverance of the Christian life. And how if you're not vigilant, you drift. Let me show you. Just two other texts so you can get a feel for this in the rest of the book. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. There it is. Holy brethren, is what I want to say this morning. Holy brethren, consider Jesus. That's the same as chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay close attention to what we've heard from the word, Jesus, which God spoke in these last days. Consider Jesus. Do you consider Jesus? You say, well, I'm a holy brethren. Why do I need to consider Jesus? To prove that you're a holy brethren. Holy brothers and sisters, consider Jesus. They focus on Jesus. They zero in on Jesus. They look at Jesus. They listen to Jesus. If you say, I don't need to look at Jesus, you simply bear witness that you don't have a new nature. Christians are people who have been born again and given a new nature which loves to look at Jesus. It loves to consider Jesus. Holy brethren need to be told and reminded who they are. And we are people who listen and consider. Here's the second, third, two, one, three, one, and now twelve, one and two. Hebrews 12, one and two says, let us run with endurance the race that is before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, this is spoken to people two generations after he's dead and gone. So it's no different today in the 20th century than it was for these readers of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is not here to be seen physically, yet we are told if you want to run this race, if you want to finish and get the crown, if you want to keep from going off on detours that will be your destruction, fix your eyes on him. Or chapter 3, verse 1, consider him. Or chapter 2, verse 1, pay close attention to what you heard in him when God spoke him in these last days. One of the great burdens of this book is to show how serious listening to Jesus is. Considering Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The first commandment. The first commandment in the book of Hebrews is listen. Listen. Please listen to Jesus. Don't drift away. Don't turn the radio up so loud. Don't turn the TV on so long. Don't read the novel so consistently that you don't tune in over and over and over to see and consider and hear Jesus. That's what he's pleading. And that's what I'm pleading this morning. The whole first chapter is written without any command, 
in order to make the command light and easy. This is not hard, folks. Listening is easy. That's why we do it all day long. It's easy. Having the radio off in the car is harder than having it on. Test yourself. Listening is easy. God is not a meanie. God spent 14 verses describing the spectacular superiority of His final word, Jesus Christ, over all angels and all television and all radio and all novels and all business and all commerce and all leisure and all education and everything in the universe so that when we get to this easy command, it would feel easy. Only one thing makes it hard if you don't want to listen. Listening is hard if you don't want to listen. If you want to listen, listening is easy. If you don't want to listen, listening is hard. Therefore, you're the problem, not God. My yoke is, and my burden is, it's not hard. Chapter 1 is written to make the yoke of listening easy. Chapter 1 is written to make the burden of listening light. The first commandment in the Christian life is not work for God, but watch God. The first commandment in the Christian life is not labor for Jesus, but listen to Jesus. And it's easy. You remember that story of Charles Spurgeon, 16-year-old, seething inside with rebellion against the sovereign God, and the snow comes down on a Sunday morning while he's walking to his church and he has to get out of the snow by going into a little Methodist chapel and hardly is anybody there except a lay preacher because the main preacher couldn't come and there was Spurgeon, a few others and a lay preacher. He opens the Bible up to Isaiah 45:20. Look to me, look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And this poor lay preacher who hadn't prepared any message said it for 10 minutes, Spurgeon said. It got so boring, he had to shut his ears. Look to me, look to me, look to me. Until the Holy Spirit said into the heart of Charles Spurgeon, Really? Just look and be saved? Just look? It's that easy? And God saved him. The gospel is a message of good news. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Commandment number one in the Christian life is don't labor for me. Look at me. Don't work for me. Watch me. If you turn away from me and spend all your time watching and listening to other messages, then you won't fall in love with me and you won't be transformed by me, and you won't live the life that is the pathway to heaven. But the key is, will you look? Will you listen? The mark of a Christian is that we have a new nature that loves to listen to Jesus. Here's an implication of this. Think about this. The Christian life, therefore, is first and foremost a life of contemplation. It is more exceedingly necessary that we listen.
that we take heed to what we have heard. Consider, fix the eyes on, listen. And out of a contemplative consideration of Jesus over and over, all day long, morning and evening, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. If you try to do the Christian life without contemplation of Jesus, morning, noon and night, it will be unlivable. There's so many people that try to short-circuit the way of life. The way of life is look, 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 listen, look. Unlivable. Keep reading in verse 1. The sentence continues, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, that's a second reason why you should pay attention to Jesus. The first reason was chapter 1, a very positive, winsome, irresistible portrait of the one to whom we listen. Jesus, the final word of God, the heir of all things, the maker of the world, the dyer for sins, the reigner at God's right hand. Listen, now at the end of the commandment in verse 1 comes a negative warning reason, lest we drift away from it. That word drift is very, very important. It's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's a rare word, but not hard to read because it's got two parts to it. Para ruomen. By or beside and float. Just float by. Float by. It's a picture of a river. Life is not a lake, folks. Sorry, Minnesota. Life is not a lake. Life is a river, and it's flowing toward hell. And if you float, you die. You don't have to do anything. Just float. This text says, it is more exceedingly necessary to give heed Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's your only hope. There's another beautiful image later on in chapter 10 where it says, we have an anchor in heaven. So the anchor is in the temple, in heaven, hooked over the mercy seat. And the rope or the chain is around your waist. And God's pulling you in. But if you take your eyes off of him, if you don't focus on him, you become like a little leaf or a dead fish and you just float the way the river is going. And the river is not flowing toward heaven in this world. It's flowing the other direction. So you don't have to work hard to go to hell. You just have to drift. Drifting is very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. And there are some drifters in this room right now. And the good news, the sign of hope for you drifters is that right now while I'm preaching, God is awakening a desire not to be a drifter. Some of you are sitting there, you know you're a drifter. You haven't read the Bible in a long time. It's a hit and miss affair. 
you don't spend any time or vigilance to focus on the Lord, to soak in Him. But right now, as I'm talking, the Holy Spirit is saying, you better fix that. And you want to fix it. And the, your want to is a really good sign. It's a really good sign. If you're sitting there right now just wishing you could get home a little earlier and that I would not talk and this is all for the birds, then that's a bad sign. And you are in big trouble and need to pray earnestly that God would change that heart. Drifting is deadly in the Christian life. Pay close attention to what you've heard. Consider what God is saying. Let me illustrate for you. I get up at 3 o'clock this morning. There's no brag. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon my time. I'm still in Uganda. I couldn't sleep. I didn't want to get up at 3 o'clock. I had no plan to get up at 3 o'clock. I couldn't sleep. I said, well, if I'm awake, got to preach over there at Bethesda anyway. got to preach here. So let's get up and get ready. So I went to the Word. Now, everybody knows it's the 28th, right? After the 25th, you can read anything you want to in the Bible, if you're on my reading plan. You know, first 25 days of the month, they tell you what to read. The last five days of the month, you can read anything you want. So I'm totally free. But I say, I'm going to go on in Mark. I'm going to read Mark 10. And I opened my Bible and knelt down in my study. And I met Jesus. I saw, the first thing I saw was, suffer the little children to come to me. These disciples were all, get those children out of here. You've got more important things to do than children. And Jesus says, let those children come to me because to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And I stopped. I thought, you know what he's saying? He's saying that the kingdom of God is of such a nature that if you are contrary in your spirit to the needs of children, you are contrary to the kingdom of God. And I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus loving these little children. And then I read further into the story about the rich young ruler. And I heard Jesus say, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And the disciples put their hands, hands to their heads and said, well, who then can be saved? And he said... With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. And I saw Jesus. All things are possible with God. And then I read on into the next paragraph, and Jesus looks at him and he says, I'm going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes, and they will beat him, and they will spit on him, and they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And I saw Jesus. And then I read a little further and I saw Peter and James saying, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus looks at them and says, get it, get it. If you would be great, you must be the servant of all. If you would be first among them, you must be the slave of all because the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And I saw Jesus. And I read one more paragraph further. Stopping after each one of these, just letting it soak in, just loving Jesus, just looking, fixing my eyes on Jesus, the way Hebrews 12.1 says. And I saw this blind man, son of David, 
Have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. These disciples never get it. They never get it. Be quiet. Be quiet. He wouldn't be quiet. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops. They said, oh, he stopped. You can go. And Jesus, of all things, says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, let me receive my sight. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go. And he received his sight and followed Jesus. Sight. Sight. Oh, yes. And I prayed for a half an hour that I would see Jesus this morning. That you would see Jesus. That's all I know, folks, about this text. That we are called upon to see Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to consider Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And therein lies the key to the Christian life. Not hard work for Jesus, not labor for Jesus, but look at Jesus. Look at him over and over and over. And if you see him, if he does for you what he did for that blind man, you open your eyes. You can't leave. You can't leave him. And if you haven't seen him, pray that your eyes would be opened. That's what this text is about. When I was in Kenya a week ago now, God was so good. Thank you for praying. Thank you so much for praying for me. God was so good to me in Nairobi and in Kapchorwa, Uganda, to give me all I needed to keep my tummy safe and eating all that funny stuff over there and to... Help me handle jet lag and teach for 16 hours in those five days. It was so good. And you know how he did it? Every morning, every morning, the word was alive. It was alive. And Jesus stood out of the word. He just stood out and said, here am I. I will help you. Every morning. When I said, I got five hours to teach today. Wednesday, I had to teach five hours. Saturday, I had to teach five hours. I hadn't prepared a stitch when I went. I just threw everything in a briefcase and said, Lord, make a layover in Gatwick. (laughs) And he did. I got to put in another story about Gatwick. This is, you people all get out later. Oh, I got to go to that other church and preach though. I better leave that story out. Sorry, (laughs) it'll come back later. Um, The point of that was, one morning in Kenya, the Lord from Psalm 90, 14 said in a prayer of the psalmist to himself, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all the days of our lives. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that God inspired the psalmist to pray for satisfaction from the Lord. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. You ever pray that? That's the most important prayer in the world. I'm looking to you. I'm not looking to sex. I'm not looking to money. I'm not looking to health. I'm not looking to family. I'm not even looking to effective ministry. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Pray that prayer. And then just keep looking. 
satisfy me, that I may rejoice and be glad all my days. Because if I rejoice and am glad in you all my days, the power of sin will be broken in my life and you will be pleased and I will be happy. It's very dangerous to drift, folks. It's very dangerous. Let me see how I can wind this up here. Um, Notice in verse 3, we'll finish with this. Drifting is described as neglecting a great salvation. Do you see that? Neglecting a great salvation. When you drift in the Christian life and don't focus on Jesus and vigilantly listen to Jesus, you're not just drifting. You are neglecting and holding in contempt a great salvation. And the reason that's dangerous, it says in verse 2, is this. The words spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. Therefore, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You see the reasoning here? In the Old Testament, God did not speak through Jesus Christ. He spoke through mediaries, prophets, and he says angels here. God spoke through angels. He sent angels and sometimes angels spoke through prophets. And every time God spoke, whether it was through an angel or whatever, the word was so unalterable that every transgression of the word received a just recompense. And now he comes over and he says, all right, in these last days, I didn't speak through an emissary or a mediator. I spoke with my son. That is my self. I sent him right into your midst, right into history. Therefore, if you don't listen to him, if you neglect this salvation, your guilt is far greater than this guilt. And this guilt was punished justly. And so will this one be. That's the reasoning here. Which means the the greater the beauty, the greater the revelation of this final word, Jesus, the more responsible we are to listen to it. And oh, how great will be our judgment. We will not escape if we neglect such a great salvation. So let me summarize like this. We have a a commandment. We must all the more exceedingly give heed or pay close attention to what we have heard. Reason number one. Chapter 1 of Hebrews, the Son of God was spoken as God's decisive final word and he's glorious. Therefore, take heed to him. Reason number two, if you don't, you will drift away. You will neglect a great salvation and there will be no escape. So there is a positive incentive and a negative incentive. There is a glorious portrayal of what you have when you look to Jesus and a terrible description of what you get if you don't. And that's what you find over and over in the Bible. And so I close by calling us to look to Jesus.